Welcome to the Peat Provider NDIS podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and today I'm really honoured to have Cheryl Barrett from um, the Southern Cross um, Support Services on with me. Now, um, Southern Cross Support Services is one of the top 25 in Australia, um, but what's really intriguing about the organisation is the rapid pace of growth. So it's always a pleasure to talk um, to CEOs that are at Cheryl's level, um, but today we're going to be you know, talking about um, philosophy and strategy and all that stuff that we always like to have a good yarn about, but but especially the growth pattern, right? So, um, Cheryl, it really is a pleasure. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm excited to have a chat with you today. Yeah, and um, hi, hi, Chris, how are you? And I'm, thank you for your interest. It's always yeah. nice to know that uh, people are interested in what we do. Oh, absolutely. Look, I'm a business geek. Um, I love having a chat about this kind of stuff. So whether it be IT or yeah. business, I just it does it for me. So, <laughs> um, Great. Yeah. Um, well, listen, let's kind of set the scene a bit, right? So, you know, Southern Cross Support Services, it was set up in Queensland uh, back in 2011. And it was Greg and Karen Gaston that, uh, that set it up. Um, and they created a very strong base, right? So it's got the Queenslander um, roots to it. Um, now, in terms of your role as the CEO, I know it's a group of companies that you manage. It's not just this organization, but in the context of Southern Cross in particular, you came in six and a half years ago. Um, and since that period is substantially grown all the way from approximately under 200 staff, but now nearly one and a half thousand. So that's amazing in itself. But in addition to that, you've gone across three regional centers, um, you know, to become a national organization. So, um, that's incredible um what's you know achieved in that six and a half years can you help unpack the the visioning process the business case building and also the the strategy that you basically brought to the table to make that happen yeah uh look it's been a, it's it's been a long journey it's only six and a half years but you know we know what it's like some days it feels like forever to get to where we have and um but look, it's been a, a great journey. It's been a fun journey. Um, like I say, started six and a half years ago. And it was interesting because I was interviewed by Greg Gaston, which was then the CEO, um, and, and started the business with his wife, Karen. But it was a five-hour interview that was really just going to be a quick chat. And to stay five years, obviously, I was intrigued. Um, and I think that straight away was something that I walked away with. But... Um, it, it was the fact that their genuine care for their clients really, um, I suppose, uh, it, it touched me the way that everything came back to what's in it for the client. Um, and not only that, they were very progressive in their thoughts, very innovative. So, you know, I looked at the organisation thinking they've got a wonderful culture that genuinely cares about their clients. What a great way to start. Um, so a bit of a bonus that, you know, that was there, that didn't have to be changed. They had a genuine care for their clients. So, you know, it, I think the thing was, too, they were all involved. So, you know, Greg, as the CEO, would still go out on camping trips with his clients. Um, you know, they made sure that their clients had their annual holiday and something every three months, which was different. So I felt that there was real insight into wanting to have great outcomes. So that was the starting block, I think, for me, that really got me um, in, enthralled in the business to start with. From there, really, it was about what can we do uh, to build this business, to share this love, I guess, um, and, and look after more people. For me, it really was starting with um, our core values, making sure that they never change. Mm -hmm. So really, we were in the Wide Bay region, so Bundaberg is our head office, um, and we'll always stay, that's our roots, we'll always stay there. 
Um, but we also worked across Fraser Post and Rockhampton. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I could see that we could replicate this across Queensland and, and, and nationally. Uh, but what do we need to do that? We need a great people. And mm -hmm. that was important. Um, and it's important in any business. And, and it's very important when you're growing and you're growing quickly. Mm. So basically, um, as a team, you know, it takes more than one person and certainly we already had great staff, so that was a bonus. Um, granted, a small team, um, but also, you know, it, it's more than just one person that grows a business and, and has a vision um, to grow it to where we have today. So with the directors, we set out on this vision of, um, of growing the business, but the main thing was keeping our core values, making sure that we had best practice in everything we did, okay. um, making sure that our people came first alongside our clients, making sure that we filled our, our gaps, our skill gaps, and that was really important to me. It's about not just having the right people but the right people in the right roles. Yes. You know, that changes everything. Um, and that wasn't an easy journey. Uh, let me tell you, we... we um, you know, hired and, and move people around until they were in the right right place. Uh, so that was probably our number one strategy, get the mm. right people and get them in the right roles. Mm. Uh, from then, then it was about making sure that everything we did, like I say, we stuck to making sure that we had our practice right, that we had, you know, uh, person-centred active supports um, all the time, and making sure that we kept growing as an organisation, become more professional, more efficient, mm. uh, making sure that we were ahead of the game and not behind. You know, I, I always believe that we need to be looking, where's this world going to be in five years' time? What's yeah. the NDIS going to look like? You know, they've only just matured now, really. Mm. Um, what's the world going to look like in five years' time? And then we want to be working towards it now yeah. because we all know how quickly, look at AI, wow, it's changed the world that quickly. Uh, so we need to be in front of the game. So I guess that was the real vision is making sure that we were doing that all the time. We were bettering our practice, bettering um, our, our self as a business, as people. Um, you know, training and personal and professional development was really important to me. So mm. we, about, we went about training our staff, making sure that we've got the best staff, but they've got the best resources. Mm. And I think we're a little way off that yet. You know, our resources, you know, we still need some really good um, IT systems, but really it was making sure that our staff could do or our people could do what they needed to do so they were well-trained. Mm. I think really, Chris, that's the core of, of mm. what we did. You know, we've got great people. We've got them in the right roles. We've got the right roles mm -hmm. for our organisation to sustain growth, and we've got really well-intended staff, mm -hmm. uh, well-trained staff, and staff that have the capability to pivot and change when we need to as an organisation mm. for our clients' needs um, and for, I guess, the system and, and the, the climate we work in and the sector we work in. Yeah, exactly. And um, because that that the, the, it sounds like your leadership style, which I really admire, is leading people with you. It's not kind of, it's not the top-down almost military-like structure of barking orders, so to speak. It's kind of like, you know, we we know that if you express your natural skills, for example, and you're in the right role, then it's naturally going to happen. And I think that one way of visualising this is that I can almost see you at the front of it and people are walking with you, so to speak. It's not, you know, and that, and that is through that people power um, from, from the employee side of things that sounds like that just very kind of organically expanded from there, doesn't it? 
Oh, absolutely, Chris. You know, our people are our DNA. Make no mistake about that. Mm. They drive innovation, creativity. Um, they allow our business to adapt all the time. Mm. It's our people that do that. They mm. adapt to market co um, conditions. They adapt to our clients all the time, to whatever we throw in front of them. So, yeah, our people are our DNA. And we have a saying at Southern Cross uh, with throughout of all of our businesses that, no one's any more important than anyone else. Right. I am no important than anyone else. I just have a different level of responsibility. So we all have different levels of responsibility, but no one's special. And um, we make sure that that's how it is. Um, you know, I meet with our staff. I go out into the houses and meet with our clients. I have lunch with our staff and our clients. And, you know, if a house needs setting up, let's say, and I'm there. I'm going to do it. Um, you know, no one's any special than anyone else. We just have different levels of responsibility. And, you know, that served us really well because yes. our people and, and our people at the front line in particular, they do the hard yards. Mm -hmm. And and it's our corporate staff or what we call our backup house, our HR, our finance, our rosters, they're the people that are supporting our frontline people to do great work all the time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that has served us well. So yeah, that's very well. Very much so. So, I mean, yeah, people focus, but across the two dimensions of not, you know, solely mm. participants or solely employees, it's both. Um, yeah. And out of interest with the Bundaberg um, routes, and you mentioned Rockhampton, for example, um, did you or do you, forgive me for not knowing this, have you gone into the Brisbane market or not? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We work from, um, in our, let's say, our SILs and our core supports, yes. we work from um, from northern New South Wales to Cairns and, and yeah. beyond, actually, yeah. uh, further than, into the Northern Territory or the far north that we call it. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Look, we do, I think our specialty really is we do regional and rural very well. Yes. Um, we really do. It's our niche, I guess you can say. But mm. that doesn't mean we can't work in, in the cosmopolitan or, or, or the, the, the cities. And we, and we do. Uh, we work well in those regions. Um, I just think that they're, that they're our core roots, uh, yeah. our regional and our rural. We know them well. Um, and we continue to expand into those areas as well because mm -hmm. I guess I had a background of 25 years um, in the West. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're talking about the Charleville's, the Dureys, you know, out really out west for Queensland, and um, those people need the same supports as, as the city people, the city yep. dwellers. It's absolutely no difference. So we really enjoy working in the regional and the, mm. the rural areas, but we also work uh, certainly in Brisbane and, and have a good clientele and have a really big seal base there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite inspiring to hear that, that regional and rural success story because, um you know, as, as because I do business coaching and do sales and marketing projects for people, like, you know, what I often do is look at the analysis of the data tools that the NDIS provide. Um, and here's an interesting fact that the listeners might find interesting. Um, you've got your 590 odd thousand, this is the last quarter, um, you know, participants nationally, and it's growing all the time. Um, but when you look at um, the greater Sydney, so like the hour radius of the greater Sydney, if you include the Blue Mountains, um, and then Melbourne and Brisbane, Roughly speaking, the, the hour radius around just those three cities, that covers 51% of all the participants nationally, which is mind-blowing. That's right? crazy. It is crazy. Isn't so that? you can see why there's so much competition in, in Sydney and Western Sydney, yeah. same for Melbourne, same for Brisbane. So there's kind of like a, you know, there's a scrambling. And, but also, you know, my point is, is that if you, could, if you juxtapose that to regional and rural, 
you know, you've got to really have, I think, all the things down pat that you clearly have done well, whether it be people training mm-hmm. process, you know, because there's, there's, it's a different demand picture. That's my point. You know, there's, there's, it sounds yeah. like you're doing both, right? Regional, rural, plus some of the cities. Um, but, um, but gosh, you've got to do it well to get that right. Because, you know, if you were starting out maybe tiny and fresh and whatever, and you're just in, you know, should we say one town or whatever, and then you might find it a struggle, right? That's kind of one thing that I noticed with the ones yeah. just starting out. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I guess, you know, they talk about the thin markets all the time. Yes. And I think with the NDIS, it's it can be very hard for them to put the funding into those regions when the supports aren't there. But if the funding's not there, the supports aren't going to come there. Right. Um, and it is very hard because... You know, people, a lot of our frontline staff never come into an office, as you know. You know, yep. they're, they're working in people's homes all the time. And I guess the further out you get, the more isolated you become. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really hard then to keep the culture the same and the practice the same. So you do have to have, to have that little bit of density. Um, it's, it's completely different working in your rural areas, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Because to keep that culture and keep that um, practice embedded, and to a high standard is is a, a constant. Yes, and you can't take your eye off the ball. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. No, I, I had a um, an educational background before going to the NDIS, and so I used to you know sell projects for to registered training organisations and universities and yeah. do e learning projects, right? And so I know the crucial place of, for example, the technical term is self paced e learning, right? So what that means yeah. is that you're not reliant on um, people coming physically into the office at the same time um, and watching a physical instructor in front of them, you can literally log on, go to a learning management system. Um, you could be yeah. you could be sitting having a sauna at the gym and doing an e-learning module on complex behavior. You know, you can do all sorts. Yeah. And that's, I tell that story because I know a support worker friend of mine that literally says that. She goes, oh, every time I go to the gym, I do the latest module. <laughs> Um, you know, it's great. Wow. So, so things like that are great strategies, aren't they? It's one of many yes. strings that you need to have to your bow. But I think that kind of modernizing provision businesses on the e-learning front is one of the many things that people can do, right? To, to tackle the regional thing, tackle the we're all on different shifts and we haven't got time to come to the office at the same time problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we know that it's probably been one of the, the best inventions in the world, this whole Teams and, mm-hmm. and um, the way that we can all work um, in mm-hmm. isolation now. And it certainly has support supported the regional areas as well, but the rural areas in particular and the remote areas so that we can get that training out to our staff. We can do inductions now in teams, you know, um, and we do our what we call practice essentials and our inductions over teams, whereas once not only was it expensive, Mm. but a lot of people didn't have the ability to travel. So we, you know, we we couldn't get them all in the room together, whereas now we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet they can live hundreds of kilometres apart, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Exactly. And and again, the way we do things. And on the education side, that makes a distinction. It takes me back to the RTO project days. They'd always make a distinction between the learning material and the assessment method. So that's just a educational way of saying, Basically, whether it be self-paced e-learning, Microsoft Teams meeting, that's the learning environment, right? So you can pretty much achieve 90% of any educational content digitally, right? That's my belief, at least. Um, But it's the assessment side that, of course, you might need to come in. So let's say you want to do a subcutaneous injection for diabetes or whatever. That's when you need to come in or get the RN to go out and check that they're good. But but even just having that attitude educationally to training, I think it can empower organizations, can't it, to delineate between learning and assessment. 
Absolutely. Oh, look, you know, training in any form is fantastic, in my opinion. Uh, and like I say, not just your professional, but your uh, your personal development as well. Yep, and but that's what that's what professional development brings to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that being able to have um, you know, all forms of training is really important. Obviously, we love to get with our staff as well. You know, your staff meeting and do that face-to-face training is very important. Mm-hmm. People like to be connected. You know, we're humans and and we like people. People like people. Uh, most people like people. Um, but, you know, it really is, um, is a way for us when we're working in regional and rural areas to be able to get our staff trained. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's great. So you've gone, the scaling journey has been about, yeah, both dimensions of people, culture, um, and also great best practice. Um, so, you know, as, as we said, um, just out of interest, you know, out of that six and a half years of expansion to a much broader geography, um, I'm sure there's been temptations along the way of like, oh, we could do this here or we could do that there. Um, what's been what's been the core, the core business offering that you've always had to kind of anchor back to during those expansion years? Yeah, look, isn't it easy to do that? And, you know, and I'm some one of those people that do see that, oh, well, there's there's something fresh. You know, I want to have a look. I want to have a go. But, you know, you can't do everything. You probably can, but can you do it all great? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I would challenge that. I think that um, you have to be to a different size to be able to do everything really, really well. And we want to do our core stuff, which is always going to be disability support, always, and it's always going to be still. That is absolutely yes, yep. our core. Yep. That's our core service. Um, I guess what our core um, offering or or business offering is also our people. You know, our people right. is... Is, is core to everything we do. Um, our people are everything to us. And without great people, you're not going to have great service. You're not going to have great practice. And you're certainly not going to have great, happy clients. And that's what we all want. That's what we're doing it for. And, and um, there's absolutely no mistake within our organisation why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will always come back to our roots of doing great disability services, um, making sure that our our participants have great homes uh, and can live the life uh, mm-hmm. as, as well as they can to their ability, just like you and I can, mm-hmm. and they can have those offerings. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we'll never walk away from those core values um, mm-hmm. or, or core offerings, but we always know that um, our people, we need our people to do that. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, I guess I'll always come back to that. Absolutely. So, okay. So, Sills the the focus, um, and I'm yeah. working. I'm doing a project right now for a wonderful provider on the the Sunshine Coast. Um, and one of the things that they do is um, they they'll put solar panels, for example, on the on the roofs of the properties that they own. Mm-hmm. And it's it's to kind of it's to it's to have a point of difference, and it's to it's to then say, look, we can actually help with the utility bills, and you know, address yeah. the, the the rising energy costs. And so, you know, they do things like that just out of interest in the context of saying, you know, we, we ensure that we have great homes. Are there any particular recipes and flares that you implement to, you know, to say, like, this is kind of what our standard of a great still home looks like? Yes. Well, uh, solar, we have solar on, on just about all of our properties. I don't think there's, and we we have, you know, we have maybe 60 or more properties. Even our head office is completely, the, the roof is full of solar panels. So, 
Uh, luckily, we've got directors that love that idea and it certainly does help our clients. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're the things we look for to help our clients to make it easier for them. Mm -hmm. We do rent subsidies. I guess that's probably one of the things we're very well known for. Okay. We do subsidise our rent for our clients because we want great properties. We want a high standard of properties. Okay. Uh, what does that mean? You know, it means not having a property too old so that we can mm -hmm. make sure that everything is working well Um that environmentally it's um, it's sound and and like we say we're looking after uh, the power consumption for them as well. We purpose build a lot. We do a lot of units, um, which works really well for us. People that can have their sleepover in the most needed unit. Let's say we've got three, one to three, and we may have a set of three units and the sleepovers in one unit that is needed more, whereas um, the others have more time to themselves. So mm -hmm. they feel like they're living in their own home. I like uh, that. that so, so they get their own really apartment, well literally yeah, their own apartment. That's, that's really innovative because they keep, sorry to interrupt us, you got me inspired there. The classic model is to get the four bedroom and have the, you know, the fourth bedroom is the sleepover, but... but but yeah. you kind of right and and yeah wow because i know that for example in a lot of sda properties there's a formalities of the term i can't remember it but there's like a you have to i believe by legislation have a room that you know it should it be needed you can have a staff room to sleep over in sda yes. properties yeah. in particular um but you kind of you're almost kind of taking that philosophy and model and applying it to sill mm. but in the apartment unit I, that's really cool well, you you're look right. at it in yeah, so in a set of units of, of let's just say, a three set of units, and we have that with our SDA at the moment, sure. the, the ones that were built in Bundaberg, use for example, yeah. um, a lot of people, they don't need the 24-hour, mm. you know, full-on, full, face-to-face, full, uh, -face, let's say, but they need someone to be there. So in our cells, we have that ability for someone to pick the phone up or the, the intercom up to say, you know, to, to the person sleeping next door where they're needed, uh, if they need them through the night. But we know that people like to feel like they're independent, and that's the whole idea of the scheme. Yeah. Um, so they feel they still have a, a spare bedroom for a sleepover if they want, but also for a sleepover for the family if they want, yes. um, which is lovely for them. And then they don't have to think that they've got um, a worker in at night with them, if that makes sense. So it really makes it very nice for, for the uh, individuals to be able to have their private space. It also works with matching because we know that that's very hard with, with um, you know, if you've got a, a one to three and you have to live with other people, yes. um, but you don't always want to live with other people, but you've got exactly the same funding in exactly, exactly the same setup, so it works very well for us. So that's something that we hold, um, you know, we think is a real asset for us and for our mm. clients in particular. Mm. Um, also um, looking at our new SDAs is making sure that everyone has their own court. So if it is a house that they've got their own private court court area um, outside so they can go outside to their patio, it's fence all for themselves as well, as well as having a common area and an area that they can have barbecues together, but just making sure that everyone um, has their own um, toilets as well. So that's another thing. We make sure that there's en suites in our properties. So also a lot of our houses that we have, our still houses now, that every single person has their own um, their own en suite which just gives them that privacy as well um, and that little bit more independence. And that works really well for us as well. So I'd say that's some of the points of difference that we oh, have. That's huge. That's good. That's, that's really mm. inspirational. Um, so just break down the unit example again for me. So if you've got the one to three, you've got three participants. Um, did you say that each of the participants' units would have two bedrooms typically? Was that right? Yes, they all have two bedrooms. 
Okay. And then for the staff, if they're doing, say, you know, let's say they're on a sleepover um, shift, um, is that a fourth unit by itself? No, that's no, it's a active. Are they roaming? In... So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Depending on, yeah. on the amount of um, independence time, obviously, the clients can have. Yes. Um, it doesn't work for every client, but it certainly works for a lot of our clients. Okay. Yeah, got it. Okay, so you don't need to give the unit for the staff member, but they're basically roaming. Um, yeah, accordingly. Yes, yeah, yeah, they're still in in the property. That's right. Interesting. Yeah, so that works very well for us. Yes, and also the um, like I said, having their own en suites is is it's, huge, that, that and is some huge. of them have kitchenettes as well. So you know, you can get up, you can make that coffee, cup of coffee if you want. Mm, and that. you know, building independence is important, and it's what so many um, so many people have been looking for. Mm. So um, with the example, again, of, uh, say, the SIL property and the SDA ones, you said we, we purpose build some of them. Um, what, what you know, different providers have different attitudes. Some go, no, we only rent and we separate that out. And others will do a blend. And some might go, we only buy properties and, and then, you know, offer them as a service. What's your approach to, should we say, ownership versus rental and the blend of that? Look, we have some people that own their own properties, but do you mean within the one complex? Yep. Oh, what I mean uh-huh. is as a business, um, if you wanted to, you know, open up another facility property or whatever, would you would you rent it from a landlord and then sublet? Um, or do you or do you like to buy that property and then use that for your services? Oh, okay, ourselves. My apologies, Chris. Yeah, look, we it depends. We will we buy a lot of properties and yep. normally when we buy a property, it's because we can't uh, we can't find a property in the area that someone would like to to live mm-hmm. and something that's close to facilities, something that um, will do more than one 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 client. Mm-hmm. So obviously we know when it's three, once again, looking for the right property. So yes, we will then purchase if we can't find what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And in today's market, it is very hard. So mm-hmm. to be able to have our own properties works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to buy all the time? Of course we don't. Um, but it certainly is where our funding goes is into buying our properties so that we can ensure that we've got high quality um, in the right areas um, that suits our clients. Mm. So if we can't find something that suits our clients, then we'll go out looking to purchase. I just think there's a decency to the approach that you're doing. I really love that. It's, it, it's, it's yeah. yeah. Um, everyone's rights are exactly the same. So of course you'd want to have your privacy. Of course you'd ideally like to have your own bathroom and a nicer property that's more modern. So that really yeah. speaks to my heart. I can, I can, you know, good on you. Um, and can I just probably should clarify too, Chris, yeah. if you don't mind me butting in there, is that these properties aren't managed by ourselves. So they they are a stand uh, alone business that we've built. Okay. Some properties that is a partner for us. So what happens is they we will ask them to buy, and that that way we just make sure that there's no conflict of interest. Okay. You know, it would be unfair to say, well, it's our properties. We can move people on if we want or we don't want. So we make sure we've got that arm's distance okay. just to make sure that there's real clarity, um, you know, and to make sure that there's no conflict of interest there. So it is another business that we partner with okay. that we've developed, um, obviously, at the side. Yeah, okay. That serves yeah. us well to be, that separation. You know, to make sure there's no conflict of, of interest. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That, that's interesting. The um yeah, the, the whole separating out organizations thing is um when I had Myron Mann from the Bedford Group on, um, he fascinating model of basically giving birth to lots of different supply chain companies, you know, and it kind of makes sense yes. because if if these separate entities that you essentially partner with, if they can sustain and have their own uh, economic 
health, um, then it, it just makes sense for everyone concerned. Um, so I think it's a really intriguing model. Um, mm. Absolutely. I, I, it's worked well for us, but it's, it's worked well for our clients as well. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's making sure that they've got options. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but also being able to support us to then go on and uh, support more people. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, now tell us a bit about, you know, with the Queenslander routes, um, you know, and, and, and stretching across to New South Wales and all that stuff. Um, how have those Queenslander routes influenced the growth of the business? Look, I think because I'll go back to what I said, we do regional and rural very exactly. well. Yeah. And we all know Queensland's a big area, um, a vast area, and we have lots of, of regional and rural areas. Um, I think that it it allows us to be, I don't know, uh, we're, very, we're a very professional organisation, but we all know that Queenslands are a little bit laid back. <laughs> um, so we enjoy that... Um, we enjoy that. I think it allows us to connect with our people, connect with our clients very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's given us a real understanding that um, you can do what we sometimes think is the impossible. So to have great service in, in remote and rural areas, um, it gives you that drive to be able to do that anywhere. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, the, the rest of Australia is also a big area, has lots of regional and rural areas as well. Mm-hmm. So really it's just mirroring it in another region or yeah. another state. And um, so I think that's what serves us really well. Um, there's no doubt that um, there's no doubt that we've got, um, I guess, strong roots of Queensland mm-hmm. that gives us the... Um, the ability as well to um, to work to, to work broadly, like I was saying, a, a, across I guess you know all sorts of of um, regions as well as um, into those remote areas, into those First Nations peoples communities where we can also work, and it's it's served us well, uh, I guess, having that vast changes of of, of areas that we can work through. Yeah, for sure. Um, it wasn't again, very, didn't say that very well, did I? No, you said it beautifully. No, no, not at all. No, no, yeah, you're the one that's achieved what you've achieved. I'm very impressed. Um, now, um, it, with hindsight over the last six and a half years, if you look back, and again, with hindsight, um, what would you say some of the mistakes that you, you made and you go, gosh, I wouldn't do that again it, as part of the growth, you know? Yeah, look, never, never take your eyes off anything I think that's it I think I think it's making sure again that you've got the right people you might have the right people you have to have them in the right roles mm-hmm. um, also that when you go into a new region you can do all the right things that's your research you know let's research uh, the regions let's make sure we've got a great business plan we've got the right people our employment strategies right you can have all that but at the end of the day, if you don't have the right people in the right place, um, I think that that's where you can become unstuck. And what I mean by that is it takes a long time for a community to accept you. It takes True. a long time to, you know, really embed your roots into an area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to make sure I'm very strong on having the same culture on the Gold Coast as we've got um, in in, um, in North Queensland, in Cairns making sure that we've got our same practices 
um, on the Gold Coast that we've got in Emerald. So to be able to do that, it takes a long time. Mm. And I think that you can do it and think you've got it right and step away too quickly. And, you know, there's no doubt that we've learned our lesson there, taking our, our finger off the pulse, pulse just a little bit too quickly. Mm-hmm. So what we've learned is that not just everything we do is considered, Chris, and don't just make sure that you do that. Make sure that you give it time. Yes. Um, and, and time to make sure that you've embedded yourself in that community because that's mm-hmm. what it's all about, making sure that your practices are really sound within those in in our people, so that your culture stays strong. Yeah. Uh, and if you can do that, then um, you'll be right. I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's a win win situation if you get all that right. But it comes down to your people. Yes. It comes down to not just like I say, not just your researchers, not just making sure you've got your funding right, yeah. making sure you've got the right people, and that um, you don't take your eye off the ball. And you can't afford to do that in today's climate anyway but Mm. i think they're the things that will will um serve you well yes yeah wholeheartedly agree what when when i'm coaching people about um expansion i often you know focus on you know a couple of distinctions you need support worker hubs where you can have pockets of people and they can go maybe within a half an hour radius to the ship but they're not going to go further than that so you've got to actually embrace where your where your capacity actually is you can't just go we do all of new south wales like it's often rubbish you know for a lot of providers right um but even in that sydney example like you know i often say to people look if you have staff in central Sydney, if you have staff in the western of Sydney, um, and then if you go down to, say, Campbelltown near Liverpool, actually, geographically, you've probably got most of the hour radius of Greater Sydney covered just by having three hubs of support workers. Yeah. So that's just one yeah. example about, like, the hub angle, right? And the other thing yeah. that I think speaks to what you're saying as well is, you know, have patience and persistence to get the regions that you're already in right because right. you know yeah. like the sydney region for example but with that hour example there there's eighty thousand participants right so just you know don't think that you even have to go to melbourne yet or, or brisbane yet yes. or wherever yet True. if you're not if you're not serving a good portion of that do better <laughs> you know and nail it yeah. basically and once you and that's then once right. you get that traction where you go you know what we've got this down pat maybe that's then when you've got the capital and and you know the patience is not just an emotion is it it's also the balance sheet to be able to back up that patience because it might take time to turn a new office into revenue, for example. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, you can't make the mistake of being for profit or not for profit. Everything you do today is a business. Mm-hmm. You have to think of it like that. Absolutely. And we say that if we're not making a profit, we can't buy any more homes. We can't build any more SDA. Uh, if we're not making a profit, we can't train our staff. So you do have to have patience. You have to look at it that way. So there has to be a good business case, a good business model to move forward. Um, and I guess I always use the word considered. You do have to consider that. And I think uh, you have to understand that all communities are different. They have different mm-hmm. needs. Um, and the people are actually different. Mm-hmm. You know, we say that Queenslanders are different from Victoria's. We don't just speak differently. We're different. Um, and I think that's a mistake you can make as well. Don't think you can just take that service from somewhere and plonk it in, you know, let's say a, a regional one and plonk it there on the Gold Coast and think that your workers are going to be exactly the same because they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, they won't travel that extra hour like you 
you're saying. If you live in Cairns and you travel tra- an extra hour or Emerald, that's what you do. You know, you, yeah, you don't right. even think twice about it. Yeah, okay. But if you're yeah. living in the city of Sydney and you say, oh, well, you know, your your service is going to be an hour down the road, they're like, get out. Uh, so people are different as well. No, that's a really yeah, good point. You're right. The sense, the sense of, the sense of uh, what's a commute, that's a perfect example, right? Because the, yeah. the, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the average commute is 17 kilometres, right? So that's in kilometres, mm-hmm. but... 17 k's on a, on a good Queenslander highway you know you probably do that pretty bloody quick but if you're in yeah. eastern suburbs trying to just get from Bondi exactly. to the city you could be buggered I could take you an hour yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. so yeah people do think differently and I yeah. think that's why I always come back to the right people in the right roles because yes, yes. not just communities are different and and you do want to embed yourself in a community because that's really important because that's where you get the great stake stakeholder and you know engagement and that's where you find your great services for your clients so you do need to be embedded into the community as well mm. uh, and it takes time and uh, you have to be um, consistent in everything you do but you have to bring that culture um, of your the, your core culture of your organization to make sure you're embedded in the new region as well and that can be a trick there's no doubt about that mm. yeah and um, you know the whole right people in the right role thing um like one of the things i've done for more than 10 years now is strength coaching and it's like a gallup methodology it's a psychometric um and you know one of the one of the leadership books that i read once or made i think they use the terminology first of all know the seats on the bus and then put the right people in the right seats so it speaks to you know yeah. the right roles thing um but absolutely you know always know the right seats first because if you don't put the business's needs and objectives and vision first then you just you know you're not really aiming at anything um true but you know psychometrics whether it be strengths or other things that can be a powerful way to supplement yeah. someone's cv um out of interest you know have you ever done anything be, like the kind of it goes beyond just the cv so to speak to figure out right people in right roles look no we don't do any testing i have to say hr i don't know if i'm their favorite person um <laughs> I, it's true it's true they say shall you draw all over your notes instead of taking notes for us you know i i believe an interview should be a conversation Let's get to know the person. Anyone can answer the questions. Let's face it, Google them, put them in GPT chat. You know, you're going to get all the right answers. So anyone can sit there and do that. I bet you you could do it, Chris, no problem at all. But, you know, can you have a great, and you can, so that's silly, but can the person have a great conversation? Let's see how they think. Are they innovative in the way they think? Mm -hmm. Can they just talk about lots of things? To me, that's how you pick the right person for mm. those real pivotal roles mm-hmm. that you can't do without, those roles that really are going mm. to make or break you. Um, so, yeah, I, I believe in a great conversation. I truly do. I think mm. that it's the best way to learn about a person. And it, it breaks down their, their, their barriers, you know. It breaks down that wall of trying to be who they think you want them to be in an interview. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I think, yes, you still have to be professional. You have to be all those sorts of things. But for my team, if they can't crack a smile, if they're not a happy person as well, um, it, it's not going to work, you know. So you have to have that mix as well. And you really see that when you have a conversation. You have the right conversation, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I want to know about the family. I want to know how they treat people, you know, mm-hmm. and you get that in a great conversation rather than what was the safety thing that you did in your last 
you know, in, in your last job? What safety thing did you pick up? I think that's great and we need it. HR manager's going to kill me for saying this. You need it, let's face it, but I think you need to know the person. So that's just my take on it and might be a bit naive, but it's worked for us really well. Oh, not at all. It's, you, you know, as you were speaking, then I was making a link to um, the clear values of the organisation and making sure there's that consistency, that, that that's that. And when, when I was a, a manager at Accenture, they, they, they coached me on, um, they trained me, sorry, on, I think it was called like situational interviewing. So it's kind of yeah. similar to what you're saying. Can you tell me about a time when this happened? And, and what they zoned in on was, you know, what was your response? How did you feel? What did you do? And, and, the, and the wisdom of that, those examples of these kind of interviewing flares was that yeah. a lot of people when they're interviewing, they'll go, oh, we achieved this, we did that. And, and it can come across as kind of that they did it or they might actually behind the lines, between the lines, they might be claiming credit for, you know, what their colleague or their boss achieved. It wasn't that they yeah. actually did it. Um, so so these types of things are brilliant. And that, it, I think it's a great answer because it's, um, it's basically interview flair. Um, I'm really yeah. honing down to understanding how people think. So it's great. I think there can be the other side of that too and have someone that did everything. And I wonder somehow how everyone can do everything. You know, I did this and I did that instead of, you know, I may have led this, but I had a great team behind me. And that really shows, well, you know, are they a team player or not? Um, you know, will they live and die for their team? You know, how does that work? So I think they're, they're the sorts of things, you're right, that um, shine through and you can see that. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that, and, yeah, and I think looking for those skill gaps within your team yes. and then being able to draw those out of the, the, the applicant um, or the candidate makes a big difference. Correct. And I do think it requires leadership to look across the team to see that you need a bit of both. You need your team to say, where's the gap? But sometimes the team doesn't have, has a blind spot to what that gap is. And you need good leaders oh. to kind of go like, hey, the reason this is, you know, we're going around in circles here is because we need someone that understands the latest rostering system. Well, you know, you can you can identify the gap sometimes by looking down across the team. Um, True. Mm. So um, let's, let's ask a tech question. You know, you've grown a lot. What was the one piece of technology across the organization that you just could not live without now? Teams. Teams. I know that sounds crazy. That. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but let's face it. That's how we interview a lot of our staff that are in, okay. in regional areas or rural areas. That's how we train a lot of our staff. Hmm. That's how we have our meetings. That's how we can have a great EVP and some people working at home or have flex, you know, um, flexi work days. Um, office shares, all those sorts of things. Um, it's crazy, but I have to say it's one of the things that um, we can't live without anymore. We simply can't. I don't know if the world could live without it, could they? Well, no, they couldn't. No, exactly. It's become, I mean, look, oh. I've, I've worked from home for 12 years now, so I'm kind of used to it. Um, there you go. You know, um, but, but you know, during COVID years and all that, that was just a natural extension of what I was already doing. But it, I, yeah. I'm happy to see a world now where it's just accepted that you can yes. achieve anything with a remote, you know, thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and look, it's it's certainly getting more and more towards that. We know yeah. the benefits of working in the office and we know the benefits of working at home. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if what works for one doesn't work for the other, but, you know, that's what it's all about with people. So it works great to have that flexibility. Yes. You know, I would probably say, you know, 
for the work that we do, you have to have an amazing client management system as well. Chris, yes. you know, you can't do without that. You have to have a great rostering tool that yep. puts those blockers on. So you cannot put the wrong staff member on with someone mm. with diabetes if they don't have diabetes training. Yes. You know, you can't put someone on um, complex, high complex care if they haven't had that training. Yes. Uh, so, so that's really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then cybersecurity, wow, you know, sure. what we yep. need now for that is really important. So I think they're probably some of the things that we can't live without in our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't I don't know if we can live without them in the world now. No, I agree. Um, I, I have an IT background before all of this, so like I have that yeah. inner geek in me. Um, so forgive me for drilling down a bit, but I'm intrigued. What do you use for your rostering system? Okay, we... We use, we're just moved, we're, well, when I'm not, that's true. Two years we've been, support, we use visual care. Visual care. Get yeah. it out cool. there, yep, I know them, yep. But I guess what we're doing is we're building our own visual care. So we, when we engage with visual care, we said we will employ a developer yep. within visual care and they're developing visual care for us. So okay. we have put all the extra stuff like blockers. Um, we have changed visual care to work for us. They've been a great organizational business to work for mm-hmm. but uh it's taken us two years and we're not finished our journey yet mm-hmm. so we have built lots of different functions into visual mm-hmm. care to work for us and and that's been great that is interesting yeah because I, I know them yeah. um and um you know so some of those things like for example you know stop this person going on a shift if you've not got diabetes training <clears throat> is that an example of a custom development or is that something out of the box custom, custom yeah exactly custom. It, it's yeah. interesting yeah because there's no perfect system but but gosh no. technology can achieve so much like you oh. know it's amazing what you can do, even on the billing side, right? You know, I know um, there's a great company that I collaborate with called Paycat, and they're bloody fantastic at interpreting wow. the Shad's Award, right? So they'll, they'll take the rostering wow. extract and then they'll, yeah. they'll automatically calculate all these nuances of the allowances that you're yeah. meant to have. Like, you know, we up for one hour or half an hour in the middle of the night. What does that mean? Meal yeah. allowance, broken shift allowance. Oh. And, and a lot of the systems can't comprehensively do all do of that, that Shad no. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Award interpreter is just absolutely essential in yes. our game. That's for sure. Yes. We also have a, um, a, a a software developer on staff as well, and he's developed other software for us to use. Yep. Um, so we we use our own software that we've developed in our finance areas as well, and to work okay. in our contracts team. Okay. Uh, and that's been absolutely fantastic, and it's saved us, you know, many of of staff um actually which is yes. fantastic yeah great yeah. answer i love that and, and and for the client management system again forgive me asking but like what do you use i'm intrigued well we're using visual care for that visual as care well, for that. But once yeah, exactly. again yeah. we're still yeah. building that as well yeah. so we've changed we've built all of our own goal setters and all of our own incidents reports so mm. that's all been developed just for ourselves as well and okay. you know i know a lot of people will get benefits from a lot of it as well but yeah. um yeah we've we've actually been on a journey to develop it to suit, to suit us oh you're talking custom developers you're speaking my language now um, there you go so, <laughs> um so, again one more question if i may um i was the director of a sill provider down in Wollongong, um and i kind of noticed that the, the, the you know the systems that were being used there were a bit too kind of staticky so if you had say a care plan or whatever it's basically like a pdf upload and it's static and you can't update it and so one of the things i advocated for and implemented um, was the use of Microsoft SharePoint. Um, and so the idea there was to have like a SharePoint 
um, for participants. And then what that meant is that the staff could um, the staff could have the Microsoft apps on their phone. If they need to take yeah. a picture, it went up into the SharePoint. If they wanted to edit a, a store chart, a PRN register or whatever, it could actually be done on a Word document via the cloud. Yeah. Um, do you guys do anything like that to kind of stay away from paper? Look, we do. We're, we're cloud-based and yep. we try very hard to be a paperless organisation. I just put an email out last week saying, do we really need to be printing all of this stuff? Uh, but, look, that is definitely uh, the way we are going. More and more we're, we're fairly well paperless. But, um, look, there's there's some amazing stuff out there. Mm. We really have to be careful with our privacy laws now, though. Very true. Um, and, we, you know, taking photos is great. And I think to be able to have that technology right there and, and for all of our health um, practitioners, you know, to be able to support them with photos is great. So we're working through a lot of those privacy issues at yes. the moment, making sure they're removed or phones straight away. Yes, um, yes. Making yes. sure that we use our staff phones and not our personal phones. Sure. Uh, and, you know, that's a really big body of work to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, look, I'm, I've am i not been a IT freak or guru or whatever you want to call them, Chris, but... The more you get into it, the it's just amazing world out yeah. there, isn't it? Just oh, amazing oh, it is. what you can do. Let me share an inspiration story for everyone's benefit. Um, I did a project with a wonderful provider, and um, and what we did is a, a text message campaign out to their thousand participants that they had in their database. Um, and it was basically like a hey, good day, you know, it's it's the CEO here. I want to ask a favor. Um, can you do as a Google review at this link? Um, and overnight in 24 hours, we doubled their Google reviews like overnight because it was it was sending that request That's via a text. Right. And so this is the point I'm making is that technology yeah. like integrating an SMS campaign software to your CRM, yeah. that kind of stuff can transform because most of the time people, when they see an email for a Google review request, they go, oh yeah, maybe I'll do that later and they forget. Whereas getting yeah. it on your phone, it transformed it. And so yeah. it's very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, uh, and it is fantastic. We use that to keep our um, candidates, you know, when, mm -hmm. when let's say if they're waiting for their uh, blue card or something, we'll text yeah. them all the time to just say keeping you in the loop, still mm -hmm. waiting or whatever. So we certainly use it for that. We use it mm -hmm. a lot with our rostering system as well, of course. Yep. So we send out texts because people can get them straight away regardless they are if they want to change your shift. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do find that to just be invaluable. There's no doubt our stuff clock in and clock off on their app as well. And that's a visual care thing, isn't that's, it? I love that yeah. feature. And if I remember oh, correctly, it's geotagged. So you can actually see that the staff member was actually at that house, which is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's great. And to be able to do everything on their app is just, you know, on, on their phone is fantastic because mm. we've always got our phones with us. Yes, that's, yes. That's how life is, yeah. yeah exactly. Okay, I'll, I'll get off my geek train now and I'll ask you one more question. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, we've got the Royal Commission coming up in October, um, hopefully still. Yeah. Um, what kinds of outcomes are you hoping for from the Commission? Look, I, I would be surprised if they're any different than anyone else's, Chris. You know, we want change for people with a disability. You know, that's what we want. Um, we want, well, I want people to feel safe in their homes. You know, some of the stories are gut-wrenching. They really are. Mm -hmm. And to think that people can't be feel safe in their own homes is just Oh, it, it, it's hard to fathom, that's for sure. So, you know, we want clarity of issues. We want recommendations that for improvements. Uh, I suppose we want people to be held accountable, mm -hmm. um, you know, for some of the things that have happened. But we need to move forward and we need to enhance our safeguarding. 
um, I think improve our quality of services is obviously everything. And I'm being broad now because I know that we don't have all day because we certainly could. But, you know, those inclusive policies, I think that's really important. Make sure that um, everyone has accessibility and everything that they do so they can go to the football, they can go to the corner store. Um, and I think that will change lives in that in itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously we want long-term sustainability in all of our changes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when it comes to fraud and, and um, it, you know, all that the commission is, is looking at, you know, we do, and you've probably seen it on our, our signatures, you know, we do a lot of campaigns around that. You know, yeah. uh, Not On My Watch is the one that we've got at the moment, and that means calling out fraud, calling out bad practice, mm -hmm. um, calling out anything that you would see, um, whether it's, um, you know, financial abuse, whether it's our support workers abusing our staff, abusing each other for that matter. Mm -hmm. All of those sorts of things are important to us. And I think, you know, we want to know what the issues are and we want to know what's going to happen about them. But I do think some of those inclusive policies, you know, making sure that we have strength in our collaboration, um, you know, between government and, and um, advocates and stakeholders enhance, you know, all of that cooperation. Mm -hmm. And I think the NDIS has done a lot of that, to mm -hmm. be fair. You mm -hmm. know, I know that um, sometimes the NDIA or the NDIS gets a bad review, but holy, it's changed people's lives across Australia Absolutely. everywhere, Chris. You know, yeah. it's made it a better world. It's brought disability to the spotlight, mm -hmm. um, you know, as as has the Commission. But I think the NDIS has done that in itself and it's mm. really matured. Mm. And come once again, October, September, October, mm. um, you know, we're going to see what maturity it does bring the NDIS. And I think that the, the Royal Commission is going to stand right beside that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. And I think really the main things that need to be, you know, that matter the most are removing abuse and fraud and and standing up for people's you know rights um yeah know, primarily um yeah the, the the one one niche question i want to ask you is um do you think that the market needs to go in a direction toward registration increasingly because there's also it's nothing against unregistered providers but when you've got essentially two frameworks of management um then the should we say the consequences aren't really there right so like you know, again, I've seen this in real life between a registered provider, they make a complaint about the unregistered provider because something dodgy happened, but then the unregistered provider is only bound by the code of ethics, but not by practice standards. Yep. And so you're like, what? You know, so where, where's the actual recourse, right? Absolutely. And they don't go through the scrutiny of, if you just look at audits alone, and we've just finished our audit, um, and honestly, the scrutiny that you go through um, and yeah. ensuring that everything is right um, is intense. And we need to make sure that um, everyone is under the same scrutiny in, in everything that we do. Like you say, mm -hmm. you should all be working towards the standards. And I would wonder whether some organisations even know the standards or the, or yeah. the workers know the standards they're working under. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we're all registered, it would bring that. Mm -hmm. uh, and and not suggesting that all all unregistered providers aren't great providers because we know they are. We absolutely oh, yeah. know they are. But I think we all need to be singing off the same hymn sheet. Yes. And I think we all need to be bound by the same codes. Yes. Um, and and I think it will make a difference to to uh, the scheme mm -hmm. and to people's lives because we also know there's been an awful lot of fraud that probably could have picked up earlier had they been registered.
Well, well, exactly, exactly. So there's so many macro trends, right? Um, you know, when I asked Joanne Hewitt from Achieve Australia that question, you know, we had similar kind of philosophy of response, but it was also acknowledging it's not a simple answer because, of course, you've got the choice and control side of things where of it's your right to say yeah. I want to go with this person and I don't care if they're registered or not. So that is yeah. very true. But but regardless, the singing from the same hymn sheet in any form of regulation is crucial for a, for an industry. It is crucial. Work. Um, well, it holds people to account. And, yes. you know, we're using the public's money. Mm -hmm. um, and should we not be held to account? Absolutely we should in every single thing we do, from our practice to our finances uh, to everything that we do. And I think that's something that we hold very strongly um, at our core and believe that everyone should. You know, we're working with some of, you know, some of Australia's most disadvantaged, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, they should be, you know, that they should be treated with dignity. Um, and I think that could go a long way towards it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we must remember that this is a world-class scheme. And whilst we've got a ways to go, um, we're doing incredible, right? So we just need to keep carry on going oh, yeah. in the right direction, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a wonderful scheme. And um, it's so, it, it's changed so many people's lives and so many people's younger lives mm -hmm. um, as well that would never have been on the scheme ha had it not been for the scheme. I agree because I know that my son's a participant and thank God for early intervention with his autism. God. Like it's been transformational. It's, it's helped, you know, massively. So, you know, I think it's a wonderful yeah. thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, well, listen, yeah. Cheryl, look, we could probably go on all day. I know this is how it's like, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so much to talk about. There really is. There really is. Look, it's been a pleasure to, um, to, to pick your brains on how you've grown the organization. It's really, you know, refreshing and, um, you know, grounding uh, to know that you can just stick to what's right and stick to what's good uh, with people and culture yeah. and process. And, you know, that's when good things come to you, right? So it's all about what you put out there and what you put into your business. It is. And, you know, Chris, we have wonderful people. You know, we have the best staff or the best employees or the best best people. We really do. And um, it takes it takes them to be able to do what we've done. And so, you know, I'm just grateful uh, to be able to walk alongside and learn from from some of our amazing people so yeah we we're a great organization i believe and it's because of our people and we have some great clients that come with us that have been with us from you know day one yeah. and i guess that's where you see the rewards isn't it when you know that you've still got employees and you've still got clients that are with you from day one mm -hmm. uh, that's when you know you're doing something right exactly exactly brilliant yeah. listen cheryl barrett from southern cross support services thank you for coming on um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, my name is Chris Hall. This is Peak Provider. If you're interested in scaling your business, go to peakprovider.com.au. And uh, Cheryl, all the best to you and your team. It's great to see all the work that you're doing. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, Chris.